0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, where we talk about new books in media and communication. I am your host, Marcy Maserato, Assistant Professor of Digital Communication at George and Court University by the beautiful Jersey Shore. Today's guest is Erica Engstrom, Professor of Communication Studies at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And the topic of our conversation is her book, Feminism, Gender and Politics in NBC's Parks and Recreation. Welcome, Erica, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Um, So just so that our listeners know a little bit more about you, um, can you give us a little bit of your background and your schooling and and what you may be um, currently working on um, at UNLV?
1: Well, I started off as a radio television major at the University of Central Florida. I got my master's there as well. And then after I got my master's, I went to the University of Florida, where I majored in mass communication. After I got my degree, I came to UNLV, the University of Nevada Las Vegas, and I've been here ever since. I teach courses in gender and media. I have taught broadcast news, broadcast news production, and I watch a lot of television, and that's where I get my inspiration for my research.
0: That's great. Yeah, being being able to like tie in uh, television with scholarly activities is a, is a pretty great match. I would agree. That's great. Um, I actually did my PhD at UCF, so we have we have that in common <laughs> as well. Oh
1: my so. gosh, cosmic! <laughs> it's cosmic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and I noticed that uh, in the book you acknowledge Felicia Campbell, who really is a, is a rock star at UNLV, uh, and she, uh, I, I I've met her through the um, Far West Popular Culture Association, which is sponsored by the university. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yes, we are having our
1: conference this weekend.
0: Yes, yes exactly. Yes. Which, which, unfortunately, I'm not there. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here talking with you. And, you know, it's funny because I think you and I probably have met each other or passed by each other because I've been to that conference uh, many, many times, actually. Uh, it's one of my favorite conferences. So we have that in common as well. Um, so about uh, your book. So for me, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm a huge uh, Parks and Rec fan. <laughs> so I do think it's it's a great uh, it's a great show. And I was so excited. I think I first came across your book, um, or a flyer for your book at, at a conference. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what needed to be written. (laughs) So, um, so can you talk a little bit about, um, just to begin, what was your inspiration? Um, how did you get started with writing about, um, this topic and, and this show?
1: I had been a fan of Parks and Recreation and watching the show, I was noticing some patterns and some obvious ways that gender was being portrayed, especially the way that feminism was being portrayed through its main character, Leslie Nope. And I kind of noticed uh, how men and women were being shown on the show, Ron Swanson, the figure of masculinity, but also all kinds of ways that masculinity was being portrayed as well. And I kind of noticed all of these obvious themes that were coming out through the show itself. So I wrote a little uh, research project on it, and then it became an article, and those themes became the chapters in this book. So it really comes from watching a lot of TV and applying what you already know to what you're seeing.
0: Great. And you you start the book by contextualizing um, the idea of feminism in just television, uh, the history of television. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, feminism has always been there as a subtext, an under theme, if you will, in a lot of different shows that feature women or that star women or that are centered around women. However, as researchers of these other programs have found, lots of times, even though the women might present feminist themes, in the end, there's not much change in the world, the fictional world in which they are living, which is a reflection of the world that we are living as viewers watching these fictional characters. But in Parks and Recreation, we find that the world does change in Pawnee thanks to the feminism of the characters, especially Leslie Knope. And the support that she gets from the other characters to actually make changes. So in that way, Parks and Recreation is a departure from women-centered or feminist-themed television shows in the past.
0: And can you give an example or a couple of examples um, to kind of ground us just so for our listeners in, in uh, I know you mentioned Murphy Brown, can you give a, a few examples and kind of expand on that in relation to how those shows, uh, dealt with feminism and then, um, uh, an example of how you think, uh, Parks and Rec contradicts that notion of feminism?
1: Well, Murphy Brown was a character which was portrayed as feminist forward, progressive, but a lot of times the humor in the show came at her expense because she defied the rules of femininity. Another show was Designing Women, where the women would actually speak up and make verbal, let's say, protestations against the patriarchy. But in the end, their world actually did not change. In Parks, however, there are several episodes where we see Leslie Nope actually getting elected to office and then also changing the laws within that environment, the fictional town of Pawnee. So we see changes actually happen, which gives us the idea that we can actually make change in the real world. So in that way, parks can be seen as a departure again from the traditional ways that television have has shown feminism. Uh, it's a way not to offend viewers too much. And Bonnie Dow, the feminist scholar that I mentioned in the book, talks about how it's still television, which is a business, and so you cannot turn off people from the idea of feminism and make it very overt. However, Parks does actually use the term feminism several times uh, without offending the audience. So they definitely use humor and everyday life to talk about feminism and
0: normalize it as a thing that we should expect and work toward every day. And so... um just like your last point there in relation to how feminism that just the term quote feminism gets a bad rep, uh just the idea of of the f bomb which is something that you mentioned in the book as well. can you um uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about how you think um what the definition of feminism is and and how it's and how it has changed and how some of these shows are becoming a little bit more um, progressive and maybe going deeper into the notion of feminism?
1: Well, feminism,
0: the F word. (laughs) We
1: often hear people deny their identity as feminist, but you hear over and over again, this is a familiar trope in everyday life, how people say, I'm not a feminist, but I do believe women are A, human beings, and B, should be paid the same as men who do the same job, and C, should be able to run for office and win office, but I'm not a feminist. It's because... Throughout the decades, uh, media has contributed to this negative idea of a feminist as a man-hating, world-hating person who was bitter. I've been accused of it, being a bitter man-hater. And basically, Parks takes that and shows us that feminists are everyday people who are working toward a more egalitarian world, one in which everyone is treated equally. So the way that I see parks and I see feminism is a positive force in the world. We can see it today as a positive force to basically bring women and girls up to the status of privilege that is basically fostered within a patriarchy that is a society in which the, quote, the fathers or the men rule.
0: And would you say that um, Parks is really breaking down um, a stereotype, both in its narrative and in the way that it portrays its female and its male characters?
1: Yes, of course. Leslie Nope is not a man-hating, world-hating person. She is very kind and very thoughtful and very loving and is very serious about her job and her work and her friends and relationships. We find the men in Parks also good, kind people that are working toward making the world a better place. Even Ron Swanson would be considered a feminist, even though in the show he does say he does say he is not anything-ist. But actually he is because he treats men and women equally. He doesn't care if you're a man or a woman, as long as you're a good person of integrity and uh, is a competent person who basically uh, is honest with, with themselves and, and with other people. So... I think uh, Parks shows that feminism is a normal thing and that most people who are, you know, working toward a better world would agree with the, the tenets and the values of feminism.
0: Okay. Um, and, and kind of diving a little bit further into your book. So, for example, you kind of start um, uh, chapter two is, is Pawnee, uh, a portrait a portrait of patriarchy, where uh, one of the the kind of hilarious and horrifying things about, uh, it, you know, what they portray in the narrative is the idea of all these really outdated, very kind of anti-female laws that this fictional town in Pawnee, Indiana has. Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of what your, your um, perspective is in relation to how they wrote that into the fabric of the show?
1: Well, it's a parody and hyperbolic ways of presenting how actual laws that are on the real books in the real world are still outdated. Um, Women can't wear high heels in certain places, for example. These are laws that are still on the books. In Pawnee, they're exaggerated to make it look ridiculous how these laws are and how they're so misogynistic and against women. Uh, In Pawnee, women weren't allowed to read. They were... um, not allowed to speak to a man holding male unless, and, and if they did, they would get an egg cracked on their head, which looks kind of silly and absurd, but it's just a reflection of how silly and absurd some laws that are still on the books today are. Um, so in the book itself, I list actual laws that are still on the books. So Women can't go parachuting on Sundays in certain states. These are actual laws that are still yeah. <laughs> in place. And it will take uh, all of us to, A, vote, and B, get involved in government to get those laws updated to real life
0: uh, and uh, 2020, basically. And have you have you found any, because there, there certainly are a lot of just kind of bizarre laws uh, still in the books everywhere. Have you found anything that was perhaps enforcing some of these outdated laws in any way, shape or form currently in contemporary society? Well, some some um,
1: of these laws are still in the books, but they're not enforced. So let's get rid of them so that, you know, we actually have something updated on the books. So uh, it's not that women can get arrested for parachuting on a Sunday, uh, but it's it's simply that the law was put into place and it was allowed to put into place. And there's a certain viewpoint of the people who are writing the laws that put them in place so we have to rectify those laws um as i heard once uh, you have to know the law so you can change the law so mm-hmm. um, those who are running for office need to know the law so they can change the law and, and, the and update is, them yeah
0: yeah right. right as you mentioned to 2020 <laughs> right um and, um, I think one of the, the things that I find the most fascinating, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, the Ron Swanson character, which is, uh, you know, very libertarian, anti-government, very quote manly. And moving on to the next chapter, um, chapter three, you talk about Pawnee's new man, the manly men and the male feminists. Um, can you expand on the different characters? For example, you have Ben Wyatt, um, and Ron Swanson, um, to, to see how, how is it that they are feminist or, or really they're, they're helping the feminist narrative along with the female characters.
1: Well, they basically support the central character, Leslie Nope. They're all her, her friends and her supporters when she runs for office. Uh, we find, uh, masculinities within Parks and Recreation. We have Ben Wyatt, the geeky nerd, who is uh, the staunchest supporter of Leslie Nope, becomes her husband. We have Ron Swanson, who, as we previously talked about, doesn't care if you're a man or a woman, as long as you're competent, do the job with honesty and integrity. Um, We have um, the character played by Chris Pratt, who is a staunch supporter of his wife, April Ludgate, Um, And so they all work together. We have Chris, um, the city manager, who is very aware about his own male privilege. And he actually says, you know, he's part of the problem of the patriarchy staying in place. So a lot of these characters are quite aware about how women are treated um, and all work toward the same goal of helping Leslie. And in, in that way, Leslie becomes a metaphor for for all women and uh, we need everyone to get on board with with feminism so that we don't need to have it anymore and there's no need for uh, political practices and um, uh, efforts to have women gain equality. Does that make sense, the way that it all kind of works together uh, and integrates the men into the the cause of feminism, which is beneficial not only for, for women but also for men?
0: Sure. And I think that there's there is a common misconception that to be a feminist, you have to be female, um, which is certainly not true. You can um be a man uh and and you know, and have so many different types of you know, gender identity or sexual identity and, and whatever the case may be, and still embrace the notions of feminism, right? Um, and, and you mentioned that you um would you made a point about, um, do you see a future where feminism is, um, should be, or can be, uh, eradicated? Like the idea of feminism as an ideology. Um, what, what do you see that as, or or how do you see that happening just in the real world and, or in, in how can television and how can the mass media help us get to that point?
1: Well, the mass media is basically a reflection of what's going on because the writers are, Coming from the actual reality of our lived world, um, feminism—we've um, got a long way to go. 2016 was an example of how much we have to go. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of another election where we have several female candidates who are running for office, um, who are, you know, still, you know, fighting what we would call the good fight, um, and who still have a lot to. Uh, to go up against. We had a debate recently, you might have caught it, where we still have people in charge who are, let's say, not working uh, overtly for the cause of men and women uh, becoming equal uh, in the workplace, especially. Uh, We have the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which was ratified by Virginia and in, in my state of Nevada. And yet we still have several states who are basically fighting against the Equal Rights Amendment um, years and decades after um, it failed to be ratified. Um, But we still have people working toward getting it part of the actual law of the land, which is another example of how the laws can be changed to reflect uh, the current state of affairs. The Equal Rights Amendment has been around, the wording of it and the proposal of it has been around for a very long time since the time of the suffragettes. And so uh, we're still uh, trying to get uh, equal treatment under the law. There are laws that are in place, but that one would be the supreme law of the land. And we're still working to get that uh, into the constitution.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the ERA is really fascinating that that isn't just standard, right? That it's that we're still waiting for that to become part of, of the constitution and, um, and that actually kind of, that's one of the things that I'll be, I, I'm currently teaching a, a media law and ethics course where at, towards the end of the semester, we're going to be talking about that. And I find that a lot of students are not aware of how unequal things still are, even, you know, relating back to the laws, Um and um, how do you or have you, um, how does this become kind of pedagogical for you, uh, some of this work and, and how you teach and what you teach? And can you talk a little bit about your pedagogical practices in, uh, in your courses?
1: Yes, I teach communic- uh, gender communication. It used to be called communication between the sexes, but now it's called gender communication to reflect again. Um Uh, a more um, accurate way of describing that class. Um, In that class, we do talk about feminism and egalitarianism and feminism as a way to get to egalitarianism, although I still get some resistance from people who um, don't recognize that there is still unequal treatment uh, between men and women in, quote, the real world. Um, Yes, and I do get Uh, some complaints about um, feminism being, quote, shoved down their throats, which I tell them at the beginning of class these are some of the concepts that we'll be working towards. So uh, there's still a little bit of, even with today's uh, young people, this idea that, uh, what what problem are you talking about? There is no problem. Um, But unless you are put into the shoes of the people who are not in the place of privilege, then you don't realize just exactly how how much we still need to go, how, how much further we still need to go.
0: And so you're finding a lot of this, this hesitation from students themselves?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. So, um, there are, there are instructors uh, that I know uh, professors I know who are reluctant to teach a course in gender and communication, which um, naturally involves feminism uh, mm-hmm. because of you know fear of, uh, student uh, evaluations that might not find it, uh, let's say, palpable to them, something that they can relate to or understand.
0: And do you, or how do you, um, do you bring in um, examples like show them Parks and Rec and and kind of break it down from there if you do that? How do they react when they're engaging with the popular culture aspect or portrayals of these oh, feminist issues?
1: Yes, we we view uh, episodes of Parks and Recreation. We watch Documentaries. One of the best ones is Misrepresentation, you might be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, We also watch popular movies. I show them Fury Road, Mad Max, and how women are portrayed in that blockbuster film, and how Max is portrayed in that blockbuster film as a supporter of women. Um, And so a, a lot of the things that they might not have associated with feminism before. Once they learn about it and read about it and then apply it to what they see, uh, I think it becomes a way to illustrate that it's it's uh, already here. People and um, people out there who are making shows like this are highlighting the need for it uh, through shows like Parks and Recreation. Um, another show that I <clears throat> have researched is uh, Mad Men, which was called an anti woman show when actually the portrayals of um, anti-woman behavior actually uh, is a statement about being supportive of women. So uh, once we kind of um, have students read about the concepts and theories that become kind of a part of popular culture and then they can recognize what they're seeing, then it becomes a way for them to actually identify with and understand what writers and producers of these types of media are trying to tell us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you ever, um, talk about like behind the scenes, like the, uh, for example, with just the Oscars that were happening, do you talk about, um, and bring in these ideas in relation to women who are actually working to create these shows and write them, produce them, direct them? Um, does that, does that that also come into play in, in your courses?
1: Uh, yes. We talk about, um, especially in, in parks, half half the, half the writing staff at times um, consisted of women, which is unusual in Hollywood. So we do talk about who's making uh, the movies and television shows, who's directing them, who's writing them, who's starring in them. Um, and we do talk about how we need more uh, women's voices behind the scenes writing and directing um, these uh, these media, so that we get a fuller, a fuller way of understanding life from different perspectives. So, yeah, there are feminist scholars out there, including male feminist scholars, who point to the need for more women who are creating these these shows because what we see on screen isn't necessarily the way that um, the quote other gender might uh, portray themselves, and um, in turn the other gender, how men are portrayed. We see that women directors especially tend to focus more on relational and emotional, uh, ways of portraying human beings.
0: Sure. Um, when you talk about personal politics and everyday feminism, like moving into chapter four, um, and you specifically talk about the Leslie Ben, uh, couple and, um, and for example, like their, the, the notion of love, romance, marriage, and weddings, and I understand that that's that's another part of your um, your research um, is looking at weddings and the portrayals of that. Can you can you talk more about uh, specifically about that and what it means to this this feminist discourse?
1: Yes, one of my past books, The Bride Factory, looked at how mass media portray weddings as the ultimate experience in a woman's life, the most important day in her life, as opposed to graduating or getting a first job or becoming president of the United States. So in this show, what's really, really cool about the Leslie Ben relationship and their own uh, wedding is how it took place at their place of work, surrounded by the people that support them, their coworkers and how her wedding dress, especially, um, which was created by a woman, uh, mm-hmm. costume designer um, reflects her own personality. instead of wearing a wedding gown, she wears a costume that was created by her best friend Ann Perkins, um, who she had basically a white top and then the, sh- the skirt of her outfit consisted of um, newspaper clippings about her accomplishments. Uh, in Pawnee, and so she's bit basically wearing her accomplishments uh, rather than wearing the costume that we associate with being the generic bride. And so that episode, the, the Leslie and Ben episode, for those of you who are Parks fans, um, it still makes me cry, and I still, I still think that her wedding gown was probably one of the most creative ways of of, of presenting what it means to. Uh, be a woman today with feminist values. And uh, their wedding itself did not have all the trappings of the typical you know, $20,000 wedding. So it, it kind of reflected their, their focus on their relationship, which is really uh, based on deep friendship uh, and mutual admiration and respect for each other and uh, how they are equals in that relationship. Yeah, so I also I also teach a course on love and romance um, in the media and how that uh, episode uh, especially in uh, I, I mentioned in class and um, in my other classes um, depicts uh, what true love and romance um, consists of and that's deep friendship and mutual respect for one another
0: yeah, and that's a great point that you make about like her wedding dress because it's so visually um rich that moment where she because if we're thinking about the traditional idea that you have to dress uh in white um so the the, the idea of virginity and and placing all of these kind this emphasis on uh the pressures to to be feminine and, and the the ideals of womanhood and she really does uh, break away from that. And it's really about her accomplishments and the idea that she can want to be with a man, uh, and, and have that deep loving relationship, romantic, uh, partnership, as well as still be an independent, fierce female, right? Would you agree that that's really what the, the portrayal is between the Leslie and Ben and that that's ultimately empowering to, for women to see that you can have that balance
1: Yes, and you don't have to wear a wedding gown to get married. Uh, so her, her dress still imbues some of the traditional uh, aspects of weddings. It's still a wedding. She's still wearing a special dress, uh, but uh, she's also incorporating her own identity rather than uh, she's the bride that day. No, she's still Leslie Nope, who just happens to be getting married to her her best friend. And especially in that episode, uh, when they say their vows to each other, they end with, I like you and I love you, uh, which is very important that you like your partner as well as uh, love your partner, whoever whoever that partner may be.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. I I agree. I think it's really powerful that they add that in because it does demonstrate a, a, the dynamic between them as friends, as respecting each other, as individuals, as friends, and um, and as a romantic partners. Yes. Um, and I think, and I don't know if you've talked about this in your previous research, but I think one of the things that continuously comes up in relation to the stereotype of of marriage um, is that, you know, and they bring this up and I think in Sex in the City and in Friends, this idea that, oh, she's been dreaming about this moment for her entire life. Uh, and so when we think about Leslie, she hasn't been dreaming about her wedding date her entire life. She's been dreaming about becoming president and becoming a politician. And how do you Um, and then that kind of segues a little bit into chapter five, the idea of Leslie's political ambitions. How do you, um, talk, talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, uh, those of you who are familiar with the show, we know that she's been dreaming about becoming president since she was a child. Um, and that was her, basically her goal. Um, she, you know, had that, um, already in mind. And so she's been working toward it. Uh, throughout her career. And indeed, we do get some hints that uh, she may actually become president. There's a, an episode where it's kind of like a couple of years in the future, a couple of decades in the future, we see uh, Ben and Leslie. Um, is, it looks like they're surrounded by Secret Service agents, so it kind of gives us the idea that um, either she or he or they had both Uh, become president. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? They were the uh, ultimate power couple, according to Leslie, um, that um, it kind of gives a hint. That's how I read it, at least, is that maybe she became president, maybe he became president at one time or another, but um, kind of showing that men and women uh, can hold that office uh, as long as they're qualified, competent, and know what they're doing. Sure. <laughs> right. That's, uh, that's, that's key. Hint, hint.
0: Hint, yeah. And do you, do you think, um, did it ever, uh, e- even as a, just as a viewer or even as a scholar, did did you think that any aspect of her paralleled or wanted to, um, highlight perhaps, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, in terms of the parallel of what was happening politically in the real world while this was airing?
1: Yeah. So parks, um, uh, ended before
0: 2016,
1: However, um, as I discuss in the book itself, we see uh, on the set of Parks in Leslie's office, she has photos of famous women politicians and famous women in general all around. And one of the prominent photographs that is seen as you're watching the show is a, a photograph of Hillary Clinton as one of her role models. So she has women from both parties, uh, shown in her office who are her, you know, her, who, whom she emulates. And uh, Hillary Clinton is one of the more prominent photos that we tend to see a lot, uh, in the background while we're watching Leslie at work. So I do think that there was, um, a commentary there about, um, competent, strong women who uh, are in government, who've held important positions, and the, the possibility that uh, someday we might see um, a, a woman president. So there are hints at that uh, the whole time there. And uh, in, in the book I mentioned the, the slew of women who are either shown in photographs in her office or who actually appear on the show itself. We see um, uh, Kristen Gillibrand... In person on the show, we see Michelle Obama in person on the show. So there's all kinds of uh, support for for women who are um, very prominent uh, on the national scene.
0: Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Michelle Obama, uh, which was the the current first lady when the show was was on. Um, And how do you feel about uh, (laughs) Leslie's uh, crush, if you will, on um, Vice President Joe Biden? Hey, she
1: can she can like <laughs> whoever she likes. Um, uh, so yeah, so at that time, it's, it's just showing how important politics uh, is to to Leslie and how she um, how she views the world in terms of um, who who is whom. Let's say who uh, should um, be our role models um, and uh, quote crushes. So her main crush was Joe Biden um Which which is a kind of comical uh, a thing, but also shows that you know she uh, she views uh, I guess um, uh, competence in, in the political world as a as very attractive. As, as we know, Ben is is very you know attractive himself, but he isn't what we'd call you know uh, a Brad Pitt. so to, to Leslie, there are more important things than um, the what I call the um, outer coating of the m M&M. and So she's, she's very, she's very into uh, smarts and, uh, and, and competence.
0: Yeah. And, and we can also look at Ben Wyatt actually, uh, which is a kind of a, another running joke throughout the show is that he really is a failed politician, uh, whereas opposite of Joe Biden, who's not. Um, so I think that there's, you know, just, that's kind of something that comes into his personality. The fact that he was elected mayor at 18 and, and, and all of that. Um, and how, is there, is there any other, um, in relation to the other women on the show, um, like Anne, um, and, uh, I mean, how do you, how do you feel about their, their characters themselves and what it is that they're saying or doing, um, that's independent of their support of Ness, uh, of, of, Leslie that really could be a driving forth a very positive and enriching feminist narrative like Donna, oh, yeah. and et cetera.
1: Yeah. Um, going back to Ben, eventually he does get uh, elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Leslie gets elected to uh, governor of Indiana. So uh, it's uh, you might you know have some uh, failures. You might um, not always succeed, but if you keep trying, the, the perseverance is a is a theme there. Um, regarding the other women characters, they're very strong. They're very independent. Um, um, they uh, besides again uh, supporting Leslie No. Uh, they make their own money. Uh, They find success with loving, caring partners. and Perkins and Chris eventually get together. Spoilers! Um, (laughs) And then we also have Donna Meagle, who marries a man who makes less than her, but nevertheless uh, holds an occupation that is in this show, at least, I think um, showing that teaching is an important and valued career that we we need to support. And so Donna Meagle becomes a, a millionaire, and she and her husband give money away to a, a foundation uh, for educational, you know, which has an educational purpose. So uh, those other women are very strong. They have their own minds. They have their own careers, uh, which also shows that, um, in parts, uh, strong women uh, basically um, – Win at the at in the end, um, and so they all find uh, success um, because of their um, their integrity and honesty and and strength.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I agree with you then. I th- and I think in in my reviewings of the show, I really um, I absolutely love Donna. Um, I think she's hysterical. Uh, there's so many nuances to her personalities and, and the things that she drops in saying, oh, you know, my, my you know, my condo in Seattle and, and just like, um, you know, just little things about the fact that she and I think that also defies the idea of a government worker. That, you know, she is well-traveled and she, she I think she, her character breaks stereotypes in so many different ways of being a very um, sexually positive uh, woman and not being apologetic for that. And just, she really is, uh, and uh, like they all do, but I think she is just uh, like an amazing, strong Character um, that, you know, and even in all the male characters uh, like Jerry, Gary, (laughs) Larry, um, I think he's, I also uh, just adore his character because he ultimately is such a respectful, kind, loving man, uh, you know, to his family. And um, and even though they make fun of him, you know, towards the end, it kind of Gets a little better, but I think that he's he's just so deeply supportive of everyone around him, um, and it's wonderful to see that kind that that level of kindness. Um, so I think they they they're such a great ensemble cast, but they also seem to function so powerfully on their own um, as well, right?
1: Right. Uh, Jerry, Gary, Larry uh, might not be, you know, might not um, be the most competent at work and may not put his work, you know, as the center of his life. But, dang, he has a really great family life and he's got a great partner and, and, a, and great children. And so he excels at the family life, which shows us that uh, to be a, a man uh, in, in a patriarchy does not necessarily mean uh, you have to be, you know, you have to give up your, your family life for your work. So he is kind of like a counter type to uh, what we typically expect in traditional masculinity to put work first, family second, and not to be so good at the family life uh, and instead focus on uh, achievement at work. So he's a really great counter type and also a way to show that um, there are different masculinities uh, that are all um, valid and uh, and workable.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I don't know if you, um, how you feel about this, but I, you know, again, as I rewatch the show, um, you know, looking at, for example, Andy and April's relationship, even though, you know, they start off, um, they're very, you know, there's an age difference and they're very young and kind of immature. There's still like a level of respect and support. Um, you know, that's kind of like their relationship is like, perfectly imperfect. And I think you see that throughout all of these partnerships, they're just, they're not seen as idealized relationships. They're all flawed and they have their struggles, but I feel like throughout the show, there's just this fabric of so much respect, uh, amongst themselves as friends, as individuals, and, and as partners. And I think that that can speak, um, positively to this idea of, um, feminism and just again, kindness in, in, in humanity and thinking, you know, that, politics that like you can't be respectful or if you are a government worker or you're this, this and that. So I think if I feel like it's breaking a lot of different stereotypes, how do you how do you how do you see that?
1: I see it exactly the way that you are seeing it. <laughs> okay. um, the, the relationships are egalitarian as well. And that level of respect for each other and support for each other, especially with the uh, April and Andy relationship. Um, she might be the more like streetwise person, but uh, he is so kind and so nice and so unselfish. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they work really well together. And again, they, they respect each other. Uh, and support each other in their various endeavors. So uh, they also are a way to, to to view the egalitarianism present in healthy uh, romantic relationships.
0: Yeah, and the creators of the show uh, are uh, men um, who also created The Office. Um, do you have any thoughts about how you see just generally the portrayals and, and, and just kind of how Parks and Rec is so nice and respectful and their kind of sense of this community and how that contrasts to the office.
1: Well, the office um, also has that, I think, um, that running your workplace today is where a lot of your relationships are made and your, and your friends are made. So uh, the office, uh, even though the, they have the absolute counter to the competent Leslie Nope in terms of the Michael Scott incompetent, <laughs> uh, he's not evil. Uh, he's well intentioned, um, and there are people that actually study The Office itself. Um, but what happens in Parks is that the the, the creators actually present government workers uh, as uh, as positive people. You know, pe- they're. There are people, too, um, who are, you know, wanting to do a good job, actually want to make the world a better place. And so it's also a way of looking at how how government can be a force for good, uh, despite, you know, stereotypes, etc. cetera. Um, so, yeah, parks uh, it puts positivity uh, on only, not only on the relationships that we've been talking about, but also on feminism, on men who are feminists, even though they might not identify but uh, as feminists, but also you know a positive spin on on working um, in, in the government, um, trying to make make the world a better place and, and doing your best at your job and doing it with uh, honor and integrity.
0: Yeah, it really does flip the script, uh, on a lot of different stereotypes in a very positive and empowering way. Um, like, like you just said with the feminism and the government workers and just gender identity and, and relationships and so on and so forth with it, which is why I think it's such a great, uh, show and it's, uh, and why it's so, I think so popular and it resonates with people because it really kind of touches that, um, in, in all of us and just, going, wow, I would love to be part of that family <laughs> and work with these individuals, because even through their um, chaos, sometimes they, they, it, it, it just comes down to this mutual love and respect and support for one another, which um, can be difficult to achieve and, and sustain uh, in a work environment.
1: Correct. Um, yeah, Leslie Nope. I don't know how she does it. She's like superwoman. Uh, and uh, yeah, people are just, they're just really nice people. And most people are, are nice people. Right. Would, you, would yeah. you agree? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, most people absolutely, are, are yeah. nice and good and, and want to do a good job and want to want to be good and do good. And so I think we need more shows that that illustrate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, in in your in kind of your conclusion chapter, you talk a little bit about the continuum of uh, continuum of feminist television. Um, how do you. Because um, earlier in the beginning, uh, you, you mentioned how, you know, the mass media, like these television shows really um, talk about what's really happening in the world. Um, how do you see this moving forward? And are there any shows currently on the air or on cable that you think are doing similar things? Kind of what's your your general um, scope currently and then perhaps um, what you'd like to see in the future, what you think might happen?
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of television shows I mentioned that I watch. Uh, Vikings is one where we have strong women, Vikings. Uh, we also have The Walking Dead with strong women characters. On that show who are leaders, and so showing that, yes, we can have women leaders. Uh, Another one is Orange is the New Black, which I absolutely love, and I've done some research on how religion is portrayed in Orange is the New Black, but it's also woman-centered, and there's been a lot of research on Orange is the New Black in terms of its feminist messages as well, and basically how it's a commentary on the status of women, not only within the criminal justice system and the prison system, but also uh, reflective of uh, the status of women in in everyday life. So there are a lot of shows out there that are um, woman positive, woman centered. Uh, Big Little Lies on HBO is another one which is all about women and how they support each other. They might come from disparate backgrounds, but they all hang in there together and support each other, which is A little bit different from how reality TV, uh, The Bachelor, and other shows kind of show women being pitted against each other rather than supporting each other uh, throughout their endeavors in everyday life. Right.
0: Yeah. Have you you checked out Fleabag?
1: I have heard of it. Um, I have not gotten to it yet but I hear that it's just incredibly good. And all the awards that it's, uh, it's gotten uh, may be reflective of the quality. Uh, would you recommend that as something to uh, view as well as to investigate and analyze?
0: Yes. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on Fleabag. It's, it's 12 episodes. So it's two seasons, six episodes each, and that's it. It's a contained kind of mini series. Um, and I, and I, and I think that you would have a lot of, um, thoughts and ideas watching that, um, especially with, with the research that you do with feminism. And it really is, um, you know, I just recently watched it. I'd heard so much about it. So much of the awards, um, and of course I won't spoil anything for you, but I will say that I do believe that the awards are warranted, um, that there's there's a, an enormous amount of talent and and, and really uh, powerful discourse and needed discourse in that show uh, that is very nuanced and, and deals with some difficult um, topics in, in a in really beautiful way. Right. I, highly so, so. <laughs> oh, I highly recommend uh, another, it.
1: I highly recommend it. Another show I wanted to mention was The Handmaid's Tale, which ah, is yes. – uh, just beyond. It's incredibly beautifully photographed. It's, it's, um, it'll get you as a feminist riled up. Uh, if you've watched it, it's just excellently done. Um, I've done a little bit on uh, The Handmaid's Tale and how it's kind of showing us uh, what could happen if we don't uh, get involved and uh, ensure that what happens on The Handmaid's Tale does not happen quote in real life. Um, It's, it's so terrific. It is just, it's like watching, you know, uh, Da Vinci paintings being revealed over and it's just gorgeously done.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually, um, I've heard a lot about it and it's on my list of viewing. So I will watch that and you'll watch Fleabag. How about oh, okay. that? Okay, <laughs> deal. You have a deal. deal. Awesome. I will do that. Um, so uh, we've taken up a lot of your time, Erica. Thanks again. Um, just one final question that I'm sure our listeners want to know is what is, what are you currently working on? What's your next project? What can we, what what can we see from you in the future?
1: I am going to be talking at this Far West Popular um, Culture Association conference uh, Avengers Endgame and how masculinity is portrayed in Avengers Endgame, which I find to be a really terrific movie, even though it stars, you know, men, but there are also <laughs> women in it. But how uh, masculinity is um, modified and showing different ways of, quote, being a man. Uh, not only men, but also superheroes can be a good, kind emotionally expressive and in, involved in childcare. So that's my, my newest project right now is uh, working to, uh, to talk about uh, Avenger's endgame and how men are portrayed uh, in that blockbuster.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm so sad that I'm missing Far West this year, uh, but I hope to be back there next year. Uh, and then maybe we can do this live over there. Oh, cool, um, yes. Talk about your- <laughs> it's great. Um, thank you again for joining us, Erica. It was awesome talking to you and thank you to all of our listeners and we will see you next time. Cheers.